Good morning, Happy New Year, and Merry Christmas. Because we are in the Christmas season still, there are 12 days of Christmas. So I'm so glad that all of you could join us here this morning. And before we dive into our scripture reading this morning, I briefly want to orient us within the Gospel of Luke and historical context of the birth narrative in Luke's Gospel. So at this point in the gospel, Mary and Joseph have traveled to Bethlehem, Joseph's hometown, because Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, has issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman Empire. Now, who was Caesar Augustus? Caesar Augustus was the son and adopted heir of Julius Caesar. Yes, the same Julius Caesar who was assassinated by members of the Roman Senate when Rome was a republic. And through masterful political and militaristic maneuvering, Caesar Augustus was able to establish himself as the first emperor of the Roman Empire after the Roman Republic. So Caesar Augustus essentially established peace in the Roman Empire. After years of civil war and political discord, Caesar Augustus set himself up as the first emperor of Rome after the, Roman, after the Roman Republic and established peace in, in, in the Roman Empire. He ruled from 31 BC to 14 AD. However, during his reign, he started the 200-year period time of what we now know as the Roman peace because he set up justice and peace within the Roman Empire and all of its provinces. Now, if you were a territory or province under Rome, under the Roman Empire at this point in time, you could maintain a shadow of your government and your system of ruling as long as you paid your taxes and obeyed Roman law. So at this time in history, Judea was occupied by the Roman Empire and the government in Judea was essentially a puppet government. So King Herod was a puppet of the Roman Empire at this point in time. So Caesar Augustus, the emperor of Rome, orders a census to be taken of the Roman Empire, and Mary and Joseph comply. They go to Joseph's hometown of Bethlehem, the city of David. And when they arrived, more than likely, they would have gone to a relative's home. And when they arrived at this relative's home, because this is Joseph's hometown, when they arrived at this relative's home, the guest room was probably already occupied, and... As a result, they would have been moved to a part of the house where animals were kept. So more than likely, Jesus was born in a relative's home, but he was born where the animals were kept in that part of the home because the guest room was already full. And at this time in history, peasant homes in this part of the world were very small. And so there was a guest room where guests would stay. There was a living room where the family would do all of their daily activities. They would eat, sleep, cook, um, host people. That was where the family did their daily life. But there was, an, there was also an area of the house, usually a lower level, where animals were brought in for the night. And it's there that you would have found a manger or a feeding trough for the animals that were brought in at night. And so, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord and Savior, was born in a humble dwelling in a peasant home that was not expected of a king. Jesus was born under the rule of the Roman Empire 
in the city of Bethlehem, the city of David, within a Jewish household and community. Now let us turn to some shepherds who are tending their flocks outside of the city of Bethlehem. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary treasured these things in her heart and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At this time and place in history, shepherds were not highly regarded at all. Quite the opposite, in fact. Shepherds were lowly, ordinary workers on the margins of society. They had no social standing. They had no power, they had no privilege, no respect, and yet God chose them. God first reveals to lowly shepherds who had no power or privilege within their society the good news that the Savior, their Messiah, had been born. Can you imagine what the shepherds experienced? On the night in which Christ was born, these shepherds were tending their flocks at night as usual, when all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears shining with the glory of the Lord and the shepherds are terrified. The angel immediately says to them, do not be afraid, and then reveals the good news to them saying, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In just a few short sentences, the angel has revealed several political and religious truths. Religiously, the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord of the Jewish people has been born in Bethlehem, the city of David. The angel essentially tells the shepherds, your Savior is of the line of King David. But he doesn't just say this. 
Jesus was not just any Messiah or Savior of the Jewish people. Rather, the angel calls the Messiah the Lord, which was a term reserved for God alone. Now consider the sign that the angel gives to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And a manger near them in the city of Bethlehem. The angel declares that the Jewish Messiah is born and is in a place that the shepherds can access. The Messiah isn't found in a palace or a temple or in a place that is inaccessible to these lowly shepherds with no social standing. Instead, the Savior, their Messiah and their Lord, is found in the city of Bethlehem in a manger, and they can go see him. That's in a place that they can access. What kind of Messiah would be found in a manger? Now turning to the political implications, recall that Luke contextualized the birth of Christ during the reign of Caesar Augustus. At this point in time, Caesar Augustus and the people of Rome made the claim that Caesar Augustus was the savior of the world because he had brought peace and justice to the Roman Empire. But here, the angel says that the newborn Jewish Messiah and savior will cause great joy for all the people. What kind of savior, what kind of savior of the world would be found in a manger in the little town of Bethlehem? Now, if this experience weren't awesome or terrifying enough, then a whole host of angels appear with the first angel saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. In just a few short words, the angelic hosts give glory to God, declare peace on earth on those whom God's favor rests. Now, it's necessary to note that at this point in history, Roman poets and orators would often proclaim that there would be peace and prosperity at the birth of a new emperor. When an heir to an emperor was born, it was common to announce peace and prosperity alongside that birth. Additionally, the term translated as host that is given and associated with the angelic hosts was a military term that was applied to the host that Luke applies, and it would have evoked images of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, as well as God's shalom, God's peace. Peace between God and humanity. Those are the things that would have come to mind when Luke's audience would have heard this phrase of the angelic hosts, as well as God declaring peace on earth. So Luke not only uses the angelic host to praise God and glorify God, He also uses that to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the true king and savior. Thus, Luke effectively contrasts the peace and rule of the Roman Empire with the peace and rule, the true peace and the true rule that Christ would bring. Furthermore, it wasn't given, this first announcement was not given to people in high places or priests or people who had high standing It was given to lowly shepherds, people with no status, people with no power in society. That was the first announcement made after the birth of Christ. The announcement of their savior was entrusted to the shepherds and God's favor rests upon them. God's favor rests upon lowly shepherds? What kind of ruler would favor the least of these? 
what kind of ruler would be found in a manger? In a matter of minutes, the shepherds have been terrified by angels, informed that their Messiah has been born and can be found in a manger near them, and God's favor rests on them? So what do they do? They believe that the Lord has spoken to them through the angels, and they go seek their Lord. They go into that little town of Bethlehem that night, seek their Lord, and they look for the sign that was given to them by the angel. And when they find the little Lord Jesus lying in the manger, what do they do? They share the good news that God has revealed to them that the Savior has come and has been born and he will bring peace on earth to all people and cause great joy. They share that good news. And they go, they, they go back to their fields and through the town, praising God and giving God thanks. They adored their Lord. When they go see the little Lord Jesus, though, they didn't see the little Lord Jesus do anything great. Jesus wasn't giving great speeches. He wasn't feeding thousands. He wasn't doing miracles or healing people. This is literally a baby, a newborn infant lying in a manger. And what do the shepherds do? They go, they seek, they see, and they adore. They adored the little Lord Jesus for simply being the Lord. And they go back praising God. How amazing is that? Let us turn briefly to Mary and Joseph. These shepherds came into the place where Mary and Joseph were staying to see this helpless newborn infant that Mary has just given birth to. And when these shepherds shared the good news that Christ is the Lord and he will do great things, Mary treasures these things in her heart and ponders them. The shepherds had no idea what God had revealed to Mary when the angel first appeared to Mary. These shepherds didn't know what God had revealed to her, and yet the shepherds confirmed everything that God had told to Mary. Mary and, and then eight days later, Mary and Joseph have him circumcised according to Jewish law, according to the law that God gave to God's chosen people. Mary and Joseph were pious and obedient Jews, and they raised Jesus within that same pious Jewish culture. Jesus was Jewish, and he was raised within that culture, and he was raised to be obedient to the Lord, and he was the Lord. And so, church, I ask again, what kind of Messiah, what kind of Savior, what kind of Lord would be found in a manger? This kind of Lord is a Lord who is unashamed to humble himself by taking on flesh and dwelling among his creation, especially the least of these. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and Messiah, is fully human and fully God, and part of being fully human was taking on flesh and living during a particular time in history, within a particular culture, in a particular family. It meant living a fully human life meant experiencing each stage of life, Birth, growth, and death. And Christ experienced all of those things. He was fully human and fully God. Come and see what God has done and continues to do, and let us give thanks. Throughout Luke's birth narrative, we see God flip things upside down over and over again. God first reveals himself to lowly shepherds. God chooses an unwed virgin woman 
who is poor, to be the mother of Christ. God chooses to be born in humble dwellings and is placed in a manger when the Son of God is born. As Easter people, we know that Christ's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom and not a political one. God chose to establish his kingdom through love and through Christ as opposed to political and militaristic maneuvering like the Roman Empire used and other empires use. We know that Christ's peace and justice is greater and deeper than that of the world. Furthermore, because of the crucifixion, resurrection, and the ascension, we know that Christ is ruling at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and is ruling over the kingdom of God now, and we have hope and faith that Christ will return in final victory and bring the fullness of the kingdom of God in the future. How great is our God and the things that he has done. How great is our God and the things that he has done. But what is our response to our great God? Of course, look to Mary and Joseph and their pious obedience. Obey the Lord. Lean into God and allow God to work in you and increase your holiness for the glory of God because God calls God's people to be holy people as God is holy. But also consider what the shepherds did that night. They believed, they sought out the Lord, and they adored him for just being their Savior, Messiah, and Lord. They gave praise and thanksgiving to God Almighty Church, when we adore, give thanks to God, and give thanksgiving to God, it's not empty. When we do those things, we remember who God is. We remember who we are in relationship to God. And church, we have a rich tradition going back, to the, going back through the Old Testament of people who give thanks to God, of people who remember the things that God has done. You go back and look at Moses after the people have crossed the Red Sea. Moses and the people of God sing a song and give thanks. You look through the entire book of Psalms and you see praise and thanksgiving and even laments, but the laments don't stop at just lamenting. They go back into thanksgiving and remember the things that God has done and how God has been faithful to God's people. You go back just a few chapter, just one chapter in the Gospel of Luke and you see Mary's Magnificat where she gives thanks to God and says, Lord, you lift up the lowly. God, you remember your people. God, you are faithful, and I will be your faithful servant. You go back and look through the epistles, and you see so much praise and thanksgiving and prayers given to God Almighty. So church, we have this rich tradition of adoring God, of giving thanks to God, of giving praise to God, that we can go back and replicate and remember, because the people of God are called to remember the things that God has done. We are called to be holy people. We are called to give thanks and adore the Lord because of the great things he has done, but also because of who God is. God is God and deserves praise and thanksgiving and adoration simply for being God. Church, we can remember who God is by simply adoring God for being God through praise and thanksgiving. And so church, I ask you, when was the last time you simply adored God for being God? Church, I challenge you to simply adore God for being God. Church, when was the last time 
You simply adored God for being your Lord. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, you are good, you are holy, you are the Lord. Thank you for simply being our God, for being who you are. Lord, help us to adore you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.